Good. That's great. Fantastic. Um, I just wanted to talk real quick about the Blues. So I started, um, I started playing rugby in 2003. That's when we last won. I was a young 11-year-old boy, and I thought Kevin Mialamu would lead our boys to many championships. Alas, it didn't happen. But how many years later? Seven. Several. Several years later, they've won. So praise the Lord. Hey, um, if you are in our Royal Kids or Intermediates, um, I'd like to bless you to go and uh, do your fun things now, uh, learning about the Lord. Whoop, whoop. Awesome. Laters. <laughs> so uh, I want to start by asking this question. Who loves advice? Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, I want to ask, who, who loves those people who tend to give out free advice even though nobody asked? If you know me, you will know I am one of those people. Good morning. And I don't really apologize for it either because actually we've all been conditioned and I'm going to blame these people, parents. Whose parents have given them many pieces of advice over the years? Yeah? A lot of us. Some of you didn't. Sorry about that. Um, it's part of the territory. For example, I constantly, I constantly give my son advice. For example, hey son, I probably wouldn't run around with a knife. You might hurt yourself. Good advice, right? Or, hey son, I understand you are emphatically crying tears of deep sorrow. However, I will not continue to give you screen time because that's going to stuff up your brain. <laughs> Again, good advice. Or what about my all-time favorite? Hey son, I would be an irresponsible parent if I let you eat ice cream for breakfast again. <laughs> Can you think of a piece of advice that a parent or a parent figure uh, said to you growing up that just sticks out in your brain? I want you to turn to the person next to you, and what are some one-liners that you, you were given as a kid? Go, do it. You got 15 seconds. It's interesting, I'm watching Susanna Belton talk to her mother, so that's, I really want to hear what that is. All right, bring it in, bring it in. I want to hear some, I want to hear some. So, yep, Lauren Domigan, what we got? Listen, guys. Classic, okay, yep. Um, shop mum. Oh, and you and that's better. It's, it's a generational advice because you've given that to Jess. Who else? I I do want to find okay over here, Rob. Oh, that isn't that. Who's heard a version of that one? I have. That's great. That's fantastic. I do want to ask, um, you know, mother to daughter, what was the advice given? Couldn't think of anything. There's always consequences. Dang. Man, there's some heavy ones. I bet you there's a whole lot more out there. Um, so what I want you to do is, uh, no, no. So um, I don't know about you, but I hit the jackpot um, because I got a dad who loved to give advice growing up. Uh, most of the time it was annoying as heck, but it's only now that I'm older that I kind of sort of appreciate what he said. Um, here's just a few select top hits from Caleb's dad. If you fail to plan... 
you plan to fail. Did anyone get that one? Yeah, far out. Every time when I'm sitting there cramming my homework um, before the assignment's due, he would come into my room just to say that. Here was another one. My dad was a teacher, okay, and he used to have this on his wall in his classroom. Live above the line. What, what is the line? Why? Why should I live above it? Why can't I live below it? What if the, the line is like the roof? I want to live below the roof. Anyway, these are the things I said to him. And uh, he's one of my most favorite ones, and it's a real Christian-y one, and it's a little bit cringe. It's quite funny, but dad says, when God closes a door, he opens a window. He opens a window. Yeah, is it? Oh, well, there you go. When he closes a door, he opens a window. Fantastic. And there is one piece of advice that dad would always say, but I'm going to save that for later on in my sermon, um, and we'll come back to it. Because this morning, I, I get to share with you as part of our series on James, the book of James. And funnily enough, my favorite book in the whole Bible is Habakkuk. <laughs> nah, it's James. It is James. Just kidding. Why? Why is it my favorite? Well, I'll give you a few reasons. Well... Is it because it's quite a straight-up book? Is it because it's only five chapters? Real easy read? It's one of the reasons why Mark is my favorite gospel. It's the shortest. Is it because it contains one of the most ultimate mic-drop moments in all of Scripture when James says, faith without works is dead? The answer is yes to all of the above. Although I have to say, I did originally think that Brooke Fraser is the one that came up with that last line. It's actually James. See, James was one of my favorite, my first books I actually studied as a teenager when I met Jesus. And I think it really appealed to the, to the teenage me exactly because it was so straight up, black and white, and was really applicable to daily living. And I've often described reading the book of James as a gut punch every time that I read it. As a young, wide-eyed, and passionate, slash overzealous, slash overrighteous uh, teen, I was so on fire for Jesus and just wanted to do everything I could to follow him hard out. And when I read James, I read the words of someone who too was on fire for Jesus. Looking at the letter in context, James was writing to, to the church in the diaspora who were scattered communities of believers who followed Jesus. And this letter would have been read in multiple communities. It was the letter that was addressed, uh, that addressed issues that many of these young communities were facing. Teachers who were teaching with the wrong motives because they were not effectively trained yet. These communities were still very young. You had uh, the Hellenistic or secular worldview uh, of people that they would bring into these communities. And there, was, uh, there were a lot of uh, things that ran counter to the ways of Jesus. You also had issues such as how to treat the poor, how to endure sufferings, uh, as well as how to witness to non-Christians. And so this letter would have been sent out by Paul, uh, sorry, James, Paul writes all the other ones, uh, and a person would take that letter and would walk to the front of the, the church and would sit down, not stand, and would read out the letter. And the speaker would proceed to share it and the people would uh, discuss and debate together. Uh, so I'm about to do that right now, actually, but I will stay standing. Uh, I'm going to read to you the words of James as he said it then to the church uh, so that we might be able to hear it now for us, the church, today. And I want you to sit there and listen. Maybe close your eyes. I love to close my eyes when I listen to Scripture being read out, remembering that the Bible for most of history has been spoken aloud with the gathered community, not simply read privately. And as I read this, I, I want you to sit there, and like the original listeners, I want you to see what stands out. What line, phrase, 
what idea pops up for you and what sticks with you? Maybe what question comes from listening to James's words? So um, I will read the first part, which addresses the problem that James uh, sees. And then later on, I'm going to read the second part, which is how James proposes a solution to the problem. As I said earlier, James is quite simple uh, and he's quite straight up. So uh, there is much here for us to listen to. All right, enough chit-chat. Let's do it. James's words from chapter 3 of his letter. <clears throat> Don't be in any rush to become a teacher, my friends. Teaching is highly responsible work. Teachers are held to the strictest standards. And none of us is perfectly qualified. We get it wrong nearly every time we open our mouths. If you could find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you'd have a perfect person in perfect control of life. A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke and go up in smoke with it, right from the pit of hell. This is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. Next, ah, oh, sorry. The tongue runs wild. An unrestrained murderer. With our tongues, we bless God our Father. With the same tongues, we curse the very men and women he made in his image. Curses and blessings out of the very same mouth. My friends, this can't go on. A spring doesn't gush fresh water one day and salty the next, does it? Apple trees don't bear strawberries, do they? Raspberry bushes don't bear apples, do they? You're not going to dip into a polluted mud hole and get a cup of clear, cool water, are you? I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them what stood out for you in this text. What line, what question, what phrase, what thought? You got one minute, 30 seconds each. All right, turn and go. One, two. All right. That's our minute. If you haven't finished, feel free to finish after the service. We've got um, a little bit more to go. So we'll just bring it in. Hey, so if I was to say what the problem was that James is addressing in this uh, passage, I would say it's this. See that? Can we see that? I said, everyone, three, two, one, I want you to poke out your tongue. Three, two, one, go. Pukana. Great. That's fantastic. Some of you need to work on that. Um, so the tongue, that is the, the problem that we find in uh, today's scripture, the tongue. All throughout scripture, we hear of the tongue referred to in negative ways and positive ways. But in Proverbs, we hear, for example, that the tongue has the power of life and death. We also hear Jesus, when he's talking uh, to the Jews, they, they, they used to believe that what defiled them was what went into their mouth, what they ate. But Jesus says to them, no, it's what comes out of your mouth instead. We also know Paul in Colossians and, and Ephesians and many of his letters, he urges Christians to think about what they say before they say it. 
that uh, the manner in which they speak must be um, wholesome and it must be uh, worthy to, be, to praise God. Uh, so James uses powerful images in the scripture that I just read out. He compares the relative smallness of the tongue with its destructive capabilities. What does he do? He does. He talks about uh, a bit on a horse. The tongue can steer your whole life, just like it can a horse. A small rudder on a ship is used by a uh, skillful captain to sail even into the strongest of storms. And even a small spark can light a hole and, and create a, 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 a crazy raging wildfire. Contextually, James is referring to the use of the tongue in Christian community. And uh, how many of us have experienced the tongue and using words in the Christian community that uh, are quite hurtful? Uh, a word said from the pulpit or someone in authority uh, that has caused hurt or division. Uh, classic church gossip. Hey, did you hear that dot, dot, dot? Oh, yeah, I heard dot, dot, dot. Did you hear dot, dot, dot? Christians can be the nastiest people to ourselves. We can use our tongues for evil. I think about Westboro Baptist in America who picket the fence of the rainbow community, people that have passed away. And when I think about what they do in the example, I think about the tongue being used in disastrous and despicable ways. James knows that Christians are not exempt from the power of the tongue. That's why he singles out teachers. And if you are a teacher, by the way, an educator of any sort, uh, he's not specifically referring to you in this case, uh, so you can take a bit of a breath. Uh, he's, he's talking to those that teach uh, other Christians. Although, let's be honest, it's still applicable. Uh, indeed, it's a serious thing to teach others as a Christian. Remember that one of the earliest titles that Jesus was known by was teacher, rabbi. James uses some of the strongest words in Scripture in this passage. Um, when I was, when I was uh, you know, researching for this sermon, it was interesting because they say that uh, particularly verses 6 to 8 are some of the strongest words that are used um, that still baffle commentators now. Uh, and it says this in the NIV version. Uh, I read out the message version just before. It says this, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is restless, evil, full of deadly poison. Sheesh. James originates destructive talk amongst believers in the realm of Satan himself. And Satan is not seen as this separate being that goes out of his way to hurt us, but rather we invite hell and hellish talk by the way that we talk. A very important warning I think we all need to hear. It is sobering, and for me it's challenging. And I think one of the main reasons that James makes this connection is because when we slander another, we actually use our words against someone made in God's image. And to do that is to slander God himself. And when we fail to recognize the image of God in other people, it allows us to oppress them, to, to demonize them, to make them the other. It allows us to eventually enslave them, to speak death itself over them. Again, it explains to me why communities like Westboro Baptist do what they do. You see, this passage is about power and its wrong application. 
By the tongue, we wield much power. This morning, I want to ask you, what is your relationship to power? How do you yield it? We all have power in some form or other. A job title, a position, um, in our families, our family order, we've got skills and strengths. We all desire comfort, safety, a sense of uh, belonging, significance, and we use this power to get those things. And they're just, there's a few reasons I wanted to list. The first one is uh, controlling others' perception of ourselves. We know that there are narratives about us, some of them true, some of them false, and we try to control what is said about us. So if we hear negative things, we want to go and make sure that people know, no, here's the truth. Or maybe uh, we over-spiritualize. Maybe that's how we gain power. Uh, we overcome struggles with platitudes. You know, God's, God's in control. God's got it. I don't have to deal with that. We can do that when uh, we have conflict with people that we need to have. We over-spiritualize it away. Or if someone confronts us with the truth, we can over-spiritualize it as well and say, well, if God tells me, then God tells me. Or, thirdly, it's another interesting way, and it's for us teachers as well, is we teach our beliefs as if they are the one and true way to believe things. I think about theology. I think about whether we believe in spiritual gifts or not, healings or not, uh, whether we believe in a reading of Genesis that says it's seven days or not, revelation, whether, you know, Jesus is coming back in a thousand years or etc., etc. You could add a whole ton to them. Uh, people use theology um, as ways to control and to have power and we yield it all these things uh, we can do to wield power in the wrong way letting our mouths run wild instead of living lives with tamed tongues it can cause us to sin to speak death to oppress and even enslave others as James says if you can control or tame your tongue you are a perfect person. And when you look at the word perfect in the original language, it doesn't mean what most of us think. It doesn't mean without sin. It means to be perfect is to have full maturity. To tame the tongue is to live a life of full maturity. How is your maturity going this morning? As James puts it so powerfully, out of the very mouth that we praise God, comes cursing. And this is another point I want to make this morning. For James, addressing the churches, you need to remember that he wasn't just talking about individual actions here. No, James, he had a communal view of sin and of the individual. You see, for James, and indeed a Jewish worldview, sin is the breaking of shalom. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace, uh, but it is much larger than the English equivalent peace. It is a state of being. And when sin entered the world, it breaks shalom. It breaks that peace between God and humanity and even creation. And so therefore, it is not just personal, but a collective condition. And so James looks at the tongue and its evils amongst Christians as a breaking of shalom that goes beyond the individual and affects infects the whole community. I think in our Western framework of Christianity, it might be a bit weird and even offensive to think of our own sin impacting those around us, but this was very much the view, not only of James, 
but of Paul and of Jesus. In our hyper-individualized faith, we don't think that our sins impact the people sitting next to us, and yet James clearly shows that it does. Does this challenge you like it does me? And, and not in a condemning way, uh, as if your sin makes others sin, but in a realistic, open your eyes kind of way. That your sin, our sin, my sin, causes shalom to be broken between you and others. And this ultimately impacts our collectiveness. Now, if you're getting sad or mad, fear not. The sermon will not end in hopelessness. It can't. I would be fired. Thank Good, I should be, because there is hope. We've unpacked the problem, and now we must turn back to hear the rest of James' words to hear the solution. This is what James says. Again, I invite you to sit and to listen uh, to the words of James. Do you want it to be counted wise, to build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. Live well. Live wisely. Live humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. Mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning, devilish plotting. Whenever you're looking to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at each other's throats. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings. Not hot one minute and cold the next. It's not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other treating each other with dignity and honor. When you read James, it's not really a letter like Paul's. Instead, it's actually more like a sermon preached by James, and it contains wisdom and advice on practical issues. I always think if James was like not a Jew, he would be a Kiwi. Real practical, real practical, and giving advice when no one asked. And in, in that way, James is actually more like the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. And just like the Proverbs, the main focus is about wisdom. Going back to what I was talking about earlier when I talked to you guys about parental advice, there was a piece, um, growing up, my dad would regularly tell me this piece of advice. Are you ready for it? He would say this, my son, pursue wisdom. Pursue wisdom. Those two words could sum up my sermon. I, I could have said it at the beginning and then sat down. Wisdom, what is it? I, I want you to think of someone right now that is really smart. Go, think of them in your mind's eye. Yep, cool. Now I want you to think of someone that's really wise. Go. Were they the same people? Not necessarily, yes. Not necessarily. I asked that. I used that example. Don't know if it worked or not. Um, but I use it because there's a common, uh, it's common to attribute knowledge to wisdom. However, as we find out when we listen to James, when we read the Bible, 
uh, there is no clear correlation. In fact, James goes, goes as far as to separate the two. I always say to people this, faith in Jesus can't be about intellect because the smartest people in the world don't get it. And the most simple folk, of which I include myself in, struggle to, but sometimes do. So what is the kind of wisdom that we are to pursue? You see, for James, not only is knowledge and wisdom not necessarily connected, but wisdom is not simply word-oriented or even belief-oriented. It's action-oriented. James' definition of wisdom is seen in action, and it looks like this, a holy life getting along with others. Gentle, reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessing. It's not two-faced to get what you want. And as James says, it's when you put in that effort that healthy and robust communities can be developed. I want ROBC to be a healthy community of believers following Jesus. I want this place to be filled with people pursuing wisdom. Young, old, together, working towards full maturity. Together. Bringing it full circle, um, James is adamant that our words can cause death and division, and he is even more adamant that when we put action to our faith, we can tame the tongue and become fully mature together. But, and this is a big but, it's a massive but, this is not one of those try harder for Jesus sermons, okay? I hope you never hear me preach one of those, because it's actually impossible without him. Taming the tongue, pursuing wisdom, doing what James said. If we could try harder and achieve it, then, well, we wouldn't need Jesus. But you all know the answer, right? We do. To tame the tongue and to pursue wisdom is mutually exclusive. It's about abiding in Jesus. We love because he first loved us. We can achieve these things because of what he has already achieved. We strive and seek Christ's likeness because Christ has given his spirit to us. Uh, as I come now to the, to the end of um, today's sermon, I, I want to kind of shift into something else. I want to invite you to do something with me this morning. Um, it's one thing to hear it, as James says in the rest of James, and it's, it's another thing to be uh, doers of the word. James is very simple in today's passage. He describes the problem and he offers a solution. And because of Jesus, we are made right with God. However, James also reminds us that faith in Jesus requires action. It's not simply enough for us to believe. We must enact our belief. And so now I want to finish with a prayer together in repentance. Repentance means to turn away from the direction we are currently going. Like a bit on a horse, we can be steered around towards God and his ways. And the Holy Spirit does that in us. So I'm going to lead us in a bit of a prayer. Uh, and first, I want to address the use of the tongue and give us scope to ask God for forgiveness. I love our Anglican cousins because they always, every time they gather, they get the chance to confess and to repent. Uh, and I love being Baptist, don't get me wrong. But sometimes we forget that bit. And so this morning, I want to just bring it uh, to the front again, because that's what J James does in this passage. And so uh, I'm going to start by addressing 
the use of the tongue and give us scope to ask God for forgiveness. Whether we have been the victim or the perpetrator, whether we need to forgive someone or ask God for forgiveness. And secondly, I want to ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us with wisdom. Is that okay? Cool. And so during this, um, I will read these words out and I, and I, I ask you to join with me in this prayer. Um, you can respond however, open your hands if that's what you do, kneeling, sitting, standing, whatever way. But I feel compelled after sitting in James for a bit and uh, hearing his words with you this morning uh, that there is action required of us. So let us pray. Lord, we come to you this morning to ask for your forgiveness. Forgive us the times that we purposely speak evil in your sight amongst your gathered people who are made in your image. And maybe now I invite you to uh, bring that towards God, uh, to name that. As you taught us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. Help us to action those words, O God. Where we need to forgive, prompt us now with your conviction. Where we need your forgiveness, give us grace to see your steadfast hand reaching out towards us. O oh God, you promise us that as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions. We thank you for your steadfast love for us, as new as each new sunrise. And Holy God, we ask for you to fill us with your Holy Spirit afresh. We humbly ask for your wisdom, which comes from above. Give us new insight that compels us to right action. Jesus, it isn't enough for us to know it or just believe it. We want to be your hands and feet. Give us wisdom so we can partner with you in your loving mission to this world as we live out our loves, lives loving you. Amen. Thank you, Caleb. Wow, that was good. Um, we're just going to think for a minute about what resonated um, from Caleb's talk to us. Um, I can just share. I think for me it's real challenging to know and to remember how powerful our words are. Um, I think 